All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Balanced Blues Brothers podcast. Tonight, uh, we've got a match review from the Brentford away game that was quite an eventful one in maybe some of the wrong ways for our uh, our blood pressure and nerves throughout that match. Um, today, we are joined by Patrick Larson, uh, you know, somebody that we communicate with a solid amount with here in the podcast outside of it. And, uh, you know, somebody that we all have a lot of respect for, a really nice guy. And, you know, one of the best that's uh, out there on Chelsea Twitter. So, Pat, I'll let you go ahead and give yourself introduction. You can tell everybody where they can find you and, uh, you know, what kind of content you're producing on your own. Well, Travis, thank you. Thank you to and to, to you, Travis, and Olaf for having me on. Um, always an honor to be on with you guys. Um, if you're looking for where you can find me, um, I'm on Twitter at uh, it's at PTP underscore COYB. And I create little two two minute 20 second videos it's match previews match reviews sometimes i do different um i'll do i'll do little mini themes along the way i've got another one planned coming up soon so um i'd love for you to check it out if you're if you aren't any if you aren't already following and if you already are thank you for following along yeah any listeners out there definitely give pat a follow you know he's uh he's got his match reviews and stuff he like last uh he's doing the august of awesomeness as well series so he has some really good stuff that he's putting out that's unique and uh you know it's there's there's nobody better out there to listen to anybody say come on you blues pat should be the official spokesperson for chelsea <laughs> but uh we'll, we'll go ahead and get right into the match um so starting you know with the lineup once again we see sort of this three five two we see uh lukaku paired with Werner up front and we see another interesting start for ruben loftus cheek um, and you know, once again, I will probably break down his performance, but I was pretty imp- impressed by what I saw, um, from a game where there really wasn't much impression to be made other than in, in goal for us. But, um, you know, I, I thought that, you know, Ruben did well enough. And then we saw him paired along with Kovacic, um, and Conte in midfield. And then defensively, once again, it's a back line of Christensen, uh, Saar and, uh, Trevor Shalaba, which, once again, I think that we're seeing that this team has a lot of depth. I mean, we didn't quite expect to have in some ways. Um, so first half, we we really struggled quite a bit. We ended up kind of having our, our moment, our breakthrough with Chilwell. And then the second half, it was just, you know, batting down the hatches because Brentford are putting us under siege the entire second half. It felt like most of the game was really played with us behind the ball. Um, I'll be honest, I, I kind of had this moment I was watching – the game uh, with a friend of mine, um, another Chelsea fan on Chelsea's Twitter. It's at, he is uh, at Crash CFC. Uh, say give him a follow um, if you can. But we you know we were watching the match together and I looked at him and I said, are we Burnley right now or are we Chelsea? Because I don't really know the difference. Um, it was, and we, we were just talking too about, we noticed that there was just very uh, continual issues with moving off the ball and things like that. So I'll go ahead and shut up now about some of the things I saw and, and let you guys get into it. Pat, I'll let you go ahead and uh, kick us off here. You know, what was sort of your just general um, bigger takeaway points from the match or, or summaries or things that really stood out to you? Well, um, I always like to start out with a positive, but um, I think I think one of the one of the big things is the fact that you have to you're going to you're not always going to be at your best every match. Right. And I think the fact that we had to have guts and uh, you know, spirit and, you know, we kind of had to dig our heels in to try to, to try to get that three points because in previous seasons, we, we would have conceded one of those goals. 
And so I, th I think the fact that we were able to stick together, yes, we rode our luck many times, but the, but we also had guys making key defensive plays, putting their bodies on the line. Like we, you referenced Edward Mendy, who was phenomenal. And, uh, you know, I thought Sark played well. I thought that, uh, I, I thought that uh, Trevor played well. And um, yeah, sometimes you just had to dig your heels in. And though it didn't help my blood pressure in the second, it, you know, in the second half for what about at least, at least three fourths of it. And um, it, it, it honestly, um, I really enjoyed the fact that we could still get through that because, you know, after an international break and going in against um, going in against a team like Brentford, that's already taken a point at home against a team like Liverpool. Uh, we kept a clean sheet. And um, so, so yes, are there things on offense that we need to work on? Yes. Are there, is there chemistry up front with Lukaku and any of the other front players that we need to have? Definitely. But the fact that we were able to dig it in and get that three points, that's, that's what matters right now. But, but there's no doubt that we're going to have uh, things to work on on the training ground. And, um, you know, because there, there's other games like this ahead. So, but good three points. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, it's a good three points for us. And it, I just kind of put it in the chat here for us. But to me, it kind of had this very classical Jose Mourinho style win where you're the second best team for almost the entirety of the match, yet you still pull out the win. And we, we've seen this with uh, title-winning teams like this with him before. And one of them that really comes to mind was the 14-15 season away at Everton. We end up winning 1-0 with, uh, with a William breakthrough, if I remember right. Either that or it was this – either the Everton 1-0 away was – it was either away or home. I can't remember which one. I think actually I'm wrong. I think that was the home match because the away match was like the 6-3 bonanza of goals – um, I think that's what that was. So my memory is a little bit messed up on that one, but regardless, I'm going to go ahead and shift it over. Speaking about prime Mourinho teams, something that Ola would likely uh, probably like to continue the conversation on. So I'll go ahead and let him do that. You know, how much did this feel like a sort of a Mourinho title winning Chelsea squad performance yesterday? Yeah. I, I think the, the important thing in matches like that is you, you go away with the win and to go away with the win, you have to be defensively solid. And you have to keep the clean sheet. And we did exactly that. I mean, did we want to dominate Brentford? Yes. Do we want to score lots of goals? Definitely. Why wouldn't we? But when the game goes the way it goes, the first half were fairly comfortable. And the second half, that 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 last 20 minutes was the Brentford I was expecting to see. Because you know, in the, in the first half, I guess they were conserve, conserving their energy. But ultimately, when I saw that we were coming on under hit after hit. I knew we had to we had to swallow our pride. We couldn't afford to to still try to play expansively. We couldn't afford to still be lackadaisical on the ball and feel oh they are newly promoted side. They took they took one point away from from Liverpool. That's not easy to do. We saw what they did to Watford, and and why yes they were stubborn in, in that game. To, to take a point while scoring three goals against someone like Liverpool, you know they are, they are a serious outfit. And what they did to us was, yes, it was, I wouldn't say it was expected. They didn't expect us to come under that much heat. But when we saw we we're coming under pressure, we, we packed it in. We stayed compact. Yes, I mean, anybody could say, why would you sit back against Brentford? Why wouldn't we? We don't want to concede that, why? And uh, speaking of, of prime Mourinho teams, I remember some coaches and, and managers 
testified some years later that, you know, when they played against Moreau and, and they considered, they knew the game was done because, because they just knew that they were, not, they were not going to score a goal. And while that is not quite the same as this, because we were considering chance after chance, Mendy just, you know, Mendy had to stand on his head. And how good is Mendy, by the way? I mean, he, he at, at every point I thought, yep, it's 1-1. It wasn't. Yeah, that's 1-1. It was not. And, and Mendy, Mendy just proved what we all knew, really. He proved what we all knew since last season. He has been the most consistent member of, of our squad, really, because the defense has been changing in front of him. Today is Saar, tomorrow is Chaluba, next tomorrow is Christensen. You know, especially last season, the defense was changing a lot in front of him, but he was the one constant, and he showed why, showed why you know, we, we spent the money we spent on him. Yes, we have a 62 million pound, 72 million pound goalkeeper sitting on our bench. But uh, I mean, even even Kepa, even Kepa wants Mendy to start <laughs> right now. Even Kepa wants Mendy to, to to start game. So it was. I I liked the match in that we, despite the heat we came under, we didn't concede, and that was that was thanks to Mendy. But the defenders also made some crucial clearances. To be fair to them. It just when your goalkeeper makes that many saves and keeps a clean sheet, you it's difficult to look past him. But it will, it will not be fair if we don't give credit where it's due. Malangsa was brilliant, and you know our attack has the same a lot of the same issues we had last season. Except now we don't have Vena. You know, bail, I wouldn't say bailing us out. Really. Vena didn't bail us out. But we, last season, I think it was more of Vena making runs that couldn't be ignored. I mean, when, when you keep seeing a guy in open space, even if you, you feel it's going to miss, you just have to pass the ball to him. Especially when you that is with the ball doesn't have that, as much space. Lukaku's movement is not the same as Werner. I know he thinks, yeah, I'm going to say he thinks. He thinks he's, he, he, he runs in behind the, the defense a lot. But maybe it's because of, the, 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 of what he went through at Inter. He doesn't seem to, he doesn't seem to do that as often. And he's always standing in front of the defense trying to hold up play. And that can't always work. Of course, it's the Premier League. The Premier League defenses adapt very quickly. They are not just going to hug you and, and stand close to you throughout the match. They are going to find other ways to neutralize what you're trying to do. If they can't stop you, they will stop the person you're trying to pass the ball to. So I, I think Lukaku was ineffective. I'm not entirely sure why, but he was. Werner tried a lot, but... He too didn't really do much. They both only had one shot and they were both off target. Uh, I think um, Loftus-Cheek played very well. Kovacic was good. Kante was, was good. Piantewa was... He had some moments that irritated me, but ultimately got us the winning goal, so I can't be too angry. I don't think Aspilicueta did much, but again, I can't overemphasize how, how heavy the press of, of Brentford was. Especially it was the last... 25 minutes. They, 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 they were on top of us. Whenever we got the ball, we tried to break. They retrieved the ball. It was really, it was really, you know. It was really to me. Were, it was reminiscent of like playing Manchester City, where we had no answers to get on the ball. Whatever we tried, we were immediately pressed out of the match. And like yesterday, what stood out to me a lot in the second half is we struggled to like we struggled to literally string five passes together. Uh, because their press was just that coordinated 
And when you have all 11 men behind the ball on a three, five, two, you know, I don't think that's going to spell the best equation to neutralize uh, all, you know, full court press kind of thing from a, from an opponent. But there was one thing I wanted to shift gears. You brought up a good point. A lot that a lot of people have kind of mentioned on the, on the Twitter uh, timeline, which is that we're not using Lukaku effectively. So Travis, I'm going to pivot over to you on that and ask you about that. What do you make of the, you know, so Lukaku is in a, a bit of a small goal scoring drought right now. He still leads our team with three goals, but then after that it's Ben Chilwell and Chalaba tied for second with two goals. And then after that, it's just like eight people who have one goal each. So what do you make of this? Do you think that Lukaku is not being used correctly? And if he isn't, how should he better be used? Or do you think that this isn't really a, a tactical issue with Lukaku and maybe a tactical issue with the other pieces and how they complement Lukaku? <laughs> I think it is a much more complicated question than people are making it out to be. So Lukaku pinning the defense and not being not really moving and doing anything else. Well, yeah, he's going to be the one to do that because who else is going to? We had that conversation last season when we were playing Mount Kai and Timo Werner up top. None of them really want to be that guy pinning the defense back. But somebody's got to be. You can't just play without – you can't play without the defense being stuck where they are. You don't want them being able to come out like our defense can – and turning defense into attack very quickly. So if no one else is willing to do that, he's got to stay there. But if you look at how he plays with Belgium or look at how he plays with Inter Milan, he ends up wide a lot and driving not dissimilarly to what Loftus-Cheek was doing yesterday because someone is willing to go in and pin the defense while Lukaku goes wide. We don't have that for a few reasons, mostly because no one else wants to do it. But when you're playing 3-5-2, you're already demanding a lot more of all the individual players than you normally would. So, like, Timo Werner had to do the role of both of those forwards that are normally behind Lukaku. And that was both to our detriment and for a purpose yesterday. You know, Timo would drop deep a lot to help that transition, and he would go wide a lot to help that transition. But all that did was leave Lukaku alone up top. Now, are we going to pass the ball to Lukaku when he's surrounded by four players? Probably not. And even if we do, what's he going to do with it? He's just going to have to send it back because he has no support because Timo's having to go support other players. Beyond that, you know, we don't really have any midfielders that are – going to create goals on their own. They're not going to score goals on their own. I mean, in the second half, we had one shot, and it was Kovacic. And, you know, how many goals has he scored for Chelsea? One? Like, it, it's not something we can really rely on. So Lukaku's stuck up there without the support he needs to create his own chances, but then no one else is going to create chances around him. So we're playing around Lukaku rather than through him. And there's also this weird idea of when we have a striker like Lukaku, we just we decide we're not going to cross ever. And we did this with Giroud. You know, Giroud would be up top, and we would just decide, hey, we don't need to cross. Let's just play it through. Well, then what's the point of playing a striker like that? And whenever we would play like Timo Werner, we would just spam crosses yeah. for some reason. Yeah, it's 
the weirdest inverse relationship I've ever seen, and I don't understand it. But I mean, it, and there's also the whole possession issue where we're so afraid of what happens when we lose possession that we just play these safe passes over and over and they don't really go anywhere. Uh, you know, the goal came from Ben Chilwell coming in just kind of randomly. He was doing that a lot yesterday, but, you know, him coming in and scoring, but, you know, we weren't really creating any chances. Even that wasn't really a chance. That was your left wing back somehow ending up at the top of the box, putting a goal in from a volley. Like, these are the issues we've been talking about that aren't really sustainable for a real champions run. You know, it, it is reminding me a lot of last season where we were winning, but there were so many cracks that we just kept avoiding because we were winning that by the time, you know, the dam broke, we didn't really have anywhere else to go. So we need to figure out a way to get Lukaku involved and, I'm thinking back to the Southampton match where he kept coming deep and being that guy that Timo Werner could run off of. And for whatever reason, we changed that dynamic and it didn't really work. But all that being said, even though the second half was absolutely abysmal, we still won with a defensive back three that cost us nothing debatably, depending on how you cut how Christensen costs. They're, they're all very young. We played with very tired players who were just coming off international break. This is far from our best lineup. And even though they got absolutely battered in the second half, they won. Now, we've talked about the whole mentality issue with Chelsea before. If your mentality for the backups is really good, that only bodes better for the guys that are the main guys. Now, looking at the run of games we have where everyone's going to sit back and defend against us, that's a little concerning. But we can figure these things out, and we need to figure them out before it becomes a problem later. I, I, I really think you make some good points there, Travis, that, you know, we're going to be up against teams that are going to play more like this throughout the – you know, seemingly up until basically, I think, January um, at this yeah. point. The schedule gets when much we get time. when we get back from the next break, we have Leicester City, Manchester United, and I think Juventus. But until then, we have you know Southampton, Malmo, you know Newcastle teams that are in the. Nor we play season. Norwich next Saturday. Yeah, we, yeah, we play Norwich. So, but it's a seven thirty kickoff, and it seems like every time we play the early oh, early God. matches, it's just chaos. Yeah, yeah. let's write that one off. <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll give Norwich their only win this year, maybe. But uh, I was going to move to you, Pat. So there's some things that Travis brought up that I wanted to ask you about, let you get some commentary on, which is that we we really played in a way that, you know, despite being clearly second best, we still win. We now have this rotation kind of equation where we can bring guys in from the bench or more, out, you know, more fringe of the first team and that come in and do the job well. You know, how do you how do you think these sorts of almost intangible qualities that that won't show up on a stat sheet or anything like that? You know, how important do you think these things are for us going forward, um, not just throughout the rest of the season, if we have injuries, but just the immediacy of right now? How do you think that this is going to impact the squad and going a little bit off what Travis said, where it's going to also maybe keep the first team players a little bit more on their toes for, for competition? You know, overall, what do you see this dynamic playing out as? 
um, and, and, you know, helping the team throughout the rest of the season? Well, I think it's, I think it's super important because I think that you have to have that. Um, it, it's good to have that kind of mentality for good competition. Let's look at left wing back as a, as an example, you have two guys that have been in excellent form and I'll be the first one to say it. I've never been the biggest Marcus Alonzo fan personally, but I'm not going to deny the fact that he has played well, you know, this season. I mean, he, he does things I like and things I don't like, but you know, there's certain things with Chilwell that I could say the same, but the fact that, you know, Chilwell's come in with a good mindset of saying he understood why he wasn't playing because Marcus Alonzo, um, <laughs> uh, um, because Marcus Alonzo has been playing well and Marcus Alonzo came in, had a full preseason and, you know, and earned his spot because when he was given the chance, he, he grabbed it with both hands and ran with it. And Travis, I know he does run down the wing for you. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's good to have, I think that mentality is good for competition. And it says a lot about Tomas Tuchel as well, because that tells me that he's keeping everybody involved in some way, because, you know, there's only, you know, there's only so many players that you can play on, you know, you can only start 11. And then what is it like five on the five on the bench? Did I get that right? Six, seven, seven. seven. I never remember. Yeah. Like one it's, of the things I get wrong. Is well, it and it's kind of fluctuated because of COVID, you know what yeah. I mean? It, yeah. So, so that's right. It is because it's 18 in the team. So, um, so it would be, um, so, but you've got a bigger squad than that, especially at Chelsea. So the fact that you've got guys like Malang Sar coming in that are ready to play, that have that mentality of I'm ready to step in when called, you know, when I saw that Sar was in the lineup, I was admittedly a little nervous. And the fact that he um, was able to keep uh, that he's able to keep everybody on board and everyone having a positive mentality and a team first mentality. You, we, we're not seeing these reports of, you know, squabbles within the camp. And maybe a part of that is because you're winning, but it also, but it's also the fact that I think that the manager is doing a good job of keeping the players happy because he has done a lot of chopping and changing, which there are pluses and minuses to that because like up front, we, it's been hard to build a chemistry with any of our forward players because we don't, we haven't given guys a run of games, but and, and, you know, who knows what that's going to do down the line, but right now it seems to be working. We're obviously even not at our best. We're still top of the table, but I think keeping this mentality, the challenge is going to be keeping this mentality. I thought Travis did a great job of bringing up this run of games that we have. They're kind, but these are the kind of games that are the most important because we're always going to be up for the games against the, against the big teams. The reason we brought in a guy like Lukaku is that he's supposed to be part of the solution. So we have to work on the training ground on trying to figure out how he is that solution. We have to we have to try to build a chemistry because you know really only guys like you know COVID, like Mason Mountain, Mateo Kovacic to me have so far shown the best chemistry with Lukaku. Um, that's a matter of matter of debate, but um, you know th those two guys I think have really linked up with him well. But the likes of you know. Ziyech, Havertz, and, and other guys, and Werner have not quite, you know, gotten that same understanding yet. So, but I think that elite mentality is something that we're going to need throughout the team. That's what's going to help you get over the line in some of these other games, because this is, this Brentford game is not the last one that's going to come down to gritty performances. We're, every game in the, I know it's an overused phrase, but I'll just say it, every game in the Premier League is tough. I mean, we see, you know, we see everyone dropping points. I mean, you know, as much as I love to see it, you know, Man United lost to Leicester. They lost to Aston Villa when they played a half, you know, you know when they played like a half decent team, they were dropping points. So 
it's one of those things that I think going forward, if we want to be in the title conversation, we have to win these kind of games. And, you know, I, I really don't care who scores at this point, as long as we're getting the three points, but you know, this is a game of moments. Football is football is a game of moments. So if one of those goals had gone in, we'd be having a much different conversation today than, than we are now when I'm saying, Oh, it's great that we got the three points, but I also have to remember that if one, if one or two of those had gone in, we'd be having a much different conversation right now. And, you know, Twitter would be going nuts and, you know, someone would be attacking one or, you know, one or more players. And we know, we all know who those players are. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things that um, just the, the team has to stick together because, you know, there's going to be more tough moments to come. It's, it's going to happen over a 38 game season. No, you're, you're hundred percent correct, Pat. It's going to be a lot of moments that are difficult. And it kind of reminds me what you were saying with, you know, although you hear the phrase often that the, there's no easy games in the premier league, it just kind of reminds me of what we say over here in, in the States for NFL games, right? Any given Sunday. Yep. Um, and I feel that way a lot with the Premier League, and, and you see it more and more. Obviously, there are some teams that I think are going to be more rollovers, like Watford will probably be on their 30th manager by the end of the season and losing 20 nothing instead of, you know, with their first manager losing 4-2 or whatever they were losing, you know. There's going to be teams like that that I think will always be easier, but the parity this season, right, Brentford being a newly promoted team right now in seventh place. You know, you had Leeds last year, newly promoted team, finished in the top ten. So I think that there, there's this trend of this, you know, newcomers coming into the league and stepping up their performances as well as the existing people who are there. You know, you're always going to have your Newcastle away games. You're going to have, you know, these bogey matches that are always going to be tough for us. And it's just a matter of how we're going to cope with that throughout the rest of the season. But I think the points you bring up with the competition in the squad, the mentality that it's going to create X, Y, Z, and all these different intangibles that might not really think things that we as fans may not even see on a day-to-day -day basis are going to have a big impact. Um, I do want to, you know, I, I actually agree with you one point. So, and then I'll kind of pivot this to Olad to continue the discussion. But one thing you mentioned, which is that you see a lot more continuity between Kovacic, Mount, and Lukaku. And I, I would have to agree. I think that in the games where we've seen the best out of the front three, it's kind of been that, that Havertz, Mount, Lukaku dynamic um, to some degree. But I think that the interesting thing is that Mount has undoubtedly been a bit off form and maybe just, Overall, he's played almost nonstop since the 1920 season. So it's been – that's something to keep in mind. He's a young player, so I'm not by any means, you know, like Mount shouldn't be in the first, you know, in the first starting 11 kind of guy. I'm not really that. My, my reservations with Mount are really just the role he plays within the dynamic of the team that we have. But I, in no way do I suggest that he shouldn't be playing. And I, this is something that we've continued a lot in, in, on this podcast, which is who should play in the front three. So to, instead of beating that dead horse, what I want to ask you all is, you know, what does this Chelsea team have to do other than just playing Lukaku as a target man? What do the other people on and off the ball have to do to start getting Lukaku firing the way that he was when he first arrived at Chelsea? And what are we doing differently now as opposed to when he was first here um, and scored like three goals in two games? I think, first of all, the, the first game where he scored was, was, was a non-existent Arsenal defense. The second game was uh, him running behind, actually. Yeah. So I think the first thing is the players around him have to be more alert to his runs because I I feel we don't need supremely talented creators to create chances for Lukaku. I mean, Inter doesn't have supremely talented. They don't have a KDB. 
uh, Ericsson didn't play that much, but they created a lot of chances for him. One thing I would say is that what Inter Milan do have is they have played a 3-5-2, and they used their wing backs as a lot of their chief creators for chance creation in that team. And then Hakimi being the, the biggest culprit for that. And I think it's been fairly obvious that we don't have that dynamic. So I just wanted to interject there and say that really quickly. Yeah, that, yeah that's, that's a very good point. And that's why, you know, you, you almost want to question the whole signing of Lukaku. Because I remember uh, Tuku mentioned, well, one of the things Tuku said concerning Lukaku was, we wouldn't have to change the way we play. I don't think that's correct, <laughs> but he's the head coach, so I mean he can say whatever he wants to say. But I don't think that's true because the way the way uh, Inter build up is not the way Chelsea build up. Chelsea build up with the ball playing out from the back. Inter are not really interested in that. They pass the ball and then they just boot it up and he holds it and he's very good at, at hold up. To be fair to him, he is. But those seasons have been one of his mo- most prolific seasons the Inter Milan seasons, and that was the way they played. I think he's, to be fair to him, he is very good at, at running him behind. I just think it's the way the players see him. For instance, the players don't see uh, uh, Ziet as the chief creator, so they don't pass the ball to him when we want to create chances. They see him as a back-to-goal striker, so they always pass the ball to fit. And one of the things I noticed against Brentford was Werner kept making those runs to give us an opportunity for a quick breakaway, like what he did against Manchester City, all those games we played last season. So whenever we win the ball back, either the first or the second pass has to be forward, trying to play them in behind. And I noticed Werner doesn't make his runs between the centre-backs. He makes it down the channel so that somebody has to go there. Someone has to follow him. If he keeps playing, I mean... If you if you try to run between the center backs, there's not there's, there's not always space there, and Lukaku but, is occupying that that space anyway. But I would say one thing: it's the that maybe Timo should do better with running into those channels. Which in one thing that we know with Thomas Tuchel is he likes to play those cutback passes, and I think that's nothing that's really unique to Thomas Tuchel right now in the game. We all know that cutback passes are by the by the numbers one of the highest expected goal chances that you can create because of the lack of reaction time the goalkeeper has the fact the ball's on the ground cutting back away from the momentum of the attack of the defenders um and i don't want to get too much into that but what i was going to say is that timo when he's running into those attacking channels that's a good place for us to get these cutback passes but there's like nobody to cut the passes back to um so i i kind of just wanted to say that so it's sort of like it could be a positive thing but it's all to not turning into a not so positive thing. Yeah, I, I think nobody to, to make those cutback passes too. I think that's where Lukaku comes in. The problem is that doesn't happen as often as it should. And it does happen sometimes. But when we talk about chance creation volume, Lukaku got, I think Lukaku got 30, 31 clear-cut chances last season. Only him. He, he had access to 31 clear-cut chances. Not to mention the amount the, the rest of the team got. So if we want the strikers to fire as much as we want them to fire, we have to create a lot for them. We have to create a lot. I saw I saw I saw the 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 several times, well, I wouldn't say several times, but Kovacic tried to play in Vanna, play that one time passing behind, 
and it's it's sometimes yielded fruit. But the other part of it is Venato has to work on his ball control in those areas. Because when you have a one-time pass there, you don't have a lot of time to do to execute what it is you want to execute because defenses are you know trained to lock on to danger. So once they see you there, everyone is moving, they are trying to get into position. So he has to work on his ball control there, and it hasn't been, you know, all that fantastic, really. But I, I think that's that's part of it. The other part of it is maybe maybe Lukaku should do less of occupying the center backs and more of, of running down the channels. Uh, I that's very easy to say, really, because like Travis said, someone has to occupy the center backs. But we play we play three five two. I mean, against Brentford, we had only two attackers, literally only two attackers on the pitch. So I don't think we need particularly fantastic creators or fantastic passers of the ball. I just think it's timing. There are times when the 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 defense will be caught off guard, and we have to recognize those times. We can't afford to be switched off in that moment. So I think that's just that's that's part of it, I guess. But it's it's the, the the more they play, the more the, the better they'll get at it. But I think there are things that need to be need to be put in place too. There are some some things we need to do better to make sure that that connection is there. All right. So after you know a lot, kind of describe some of the things going on with the front. Uh, attack and how to maybe get Lukaku going a bit more, some of the things that we're doing that we're not doing, some of the issues with Timo Werner getting into, you know, never running between center backs, mostly running outside, and then not really having enough people in the box to compensate for that movement. Um, you know, Travis, I want to kind of pivot to you and talk about, you know, what are the things that we, you know, tangibly can do bef- by next week to get this attack going again? Because it does seem, weirdly enough, that it's the same conversation even from last year to now, again and again, that the attack is sort of under Thomas Tuchel been the weaker side of this team. So, you know, what, you don't have really much better chance than against Norwich uh, next next week at home to get this team going. What do you what do you expect to see? not just with personnel, but within roles and tactics potentially next week against Norwich. And, you know, do you think that those things could potentially lead to a, you know, four or five goals being scored next week? Yeah, I, I think I, I like the idea of Lukaku with Timo together. The main issue I think we had yesterday was how it connected to the midfield because Timo had to come so deep or go so wide that Lukaku was left alone and there the connection was gone anyway. The, the main, the, really the only issue I have with that is if one of those guys goes down injured, who fills in to keep the same ideas? Because, you know, Pulisic is coming back eventually maybe, and he's the only one I could really see doing things similar to Timo. But I – I think the smallest change to keep those two on together would just be instead of a straight three, five, two, like we saw yesterday, go with more of a three, four, one, two, where somebody's always close to Lukaku and somebody's always there to transition the ball. And we can do that a few different ways. You know, I Mount makes a lot of sense to me, but he is, out of form and he hasn't really been given a chance to come out of that. We haven't had a whole lot of games for him to have that good opportunity. 
you know, ZH, I wouldn't mind seeing if he doesn't have headaches or whatever we're calling it this time. That, that's a complete sidebar, but I don't believe that's what it really was. That's either a mistranslation by Tuchel or something else, because that's ridiculous. But anyway, I mean, I like Loftus-Cheek, but I definitely think he needs to be in this deeper role where he has more space to get going. If you play him, if you play him higher, then he's immediately under pressure. He doesn't have time to get up to speed, and he needs that time now, especially since his injury, to get moving. And, yeah, I, I think that would be the smallest transition to make. But at the same time, when we're looking at our wingbacks, if, if we're doing a 3-5-2 of any kind of configuration, we really need those wingbacks to stay wide more than Chilwell did or get higher more than Osvaldo Cueto did. Oh, you know, great, that, great point there. Because so many times, like Chilwell, offensively and defensively, was like pushing more centrally. I, I was really yeah, confused by like, that too yesterday. Yeah, I'm looking at the average position map, and he's basically under Kovacic on the average map, which is fine if someone's filling in that wide space. But seemingly that would be Timo Werner, but. I don't know. It just makes very little sense for Chilwell to have been so central. Yeah, and especially when you're playing like a 3-5-2 in the way that we were playing it, right? It, you you have to be able to utilize that wide, you know, out wide player to create that, to create not only the width for the attack, but also to stretch the depth and then give people time to get into the box for attacks. And when you don't have that wing back offering that and they're going to drift more centrally, then we're basically just c- compressing the amount of width that we have to work with, which that's not really going to help any of our attackers. We just don't, unless you're trying to hold up play with Lukaku, but then again, I don't know why we're doing that, right? Because we, we have wide players, but we're playing them as more like now it's just straight strikers or forwards. Our wide, our wing backs are not, you're, you're right. I mean, exactly. When they're not going to provide that width, and that goes back to what we were saying earlier with Inter Milan using Lukaku so effectively in a 3-5-2 with Hakimi being that, you know, really, uh, I don't want to say creative player, but at least the chance creation player. Um, sorry, but I'll, I'll let you go ahead. But I think that's, you know, a really, really underrated point about, you know, Chilwell's positioning yesterday and how he's being utilized tactically within the setup. Yeah. I mean, there's this whole idea that you'll see guys like Eric Ten Hag and Nagelsmann talk about called minimum width, where basically you need somebody wide to stretch the play but you really only need one person to do that. And the more narrow they can be, the better, but they still have to be somewhat wide to stretch. And if everyone's coming inside, well, you know, that fullback for Brentford, they don't need to really worry all that much about what's going to happen on that flank. And then you're limiting yourself to just one other flank if you're going to go wide. And I mean, I like Azevedo Quetta. He's been much better as a wing back than I ever thought he would be, but he does it from a very deep position. And when you're already short of players up top because of the formation we were playing, then, you know, basically he just becomes a wider midfielder rather than someone who's genuinely creating with for us. That's forcing the fullbacks to make decisions. And maybe some of all of this is because of Brentford playing a similar formation we were trying to match up. 
but it caused us a lot more issues than it really needed to. So yeah, the really the only change I would go for is just the slight change to a three, four, one, two, which is kind of, you know, the best of both worlds of a three, five, two and a three, four, three anyways. And, you know, just you know, see how it looks. I mean, we definitely need more than Timo to connect things for Lukaku. We definitely need more than Timo to be able to press up top. I mean, Conte was the highest pressing midfielder yesterday, which is fine. But is that really where we want Conte to be, you know, up top pressing? Because if that press fails, then you've lost your guy who's best at intercepting the ball at doing those nippy tackles that are going to slow plays down. So, yeah, it's just the, the three five two we tried. And maybe it was because of Loftus-Cheek being able to drive. I don't know, but – it, it just created so many more problems for us and we just aren't able to make it work with the personnel we had yesterday. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, despite all of the sort of negatives from this match that we've kind of discussed or sort of just the, the balance of things that we didn't get right, um, there were still some big positives. Um, you know, so Pat, I'm going to shift to you, you know, as far as, if you could, you know, like what were two of the biggest player performances other than Edward Mindy, right? I think that's just an absolute given. Um, it's almost, we could do like a full half episode just on Ed Mindy himself right now. Uh, but I, I, you know, I'll shift you besides Mindy, who are sort of the two players that you think, despite a lot of these issues that we saw that really stood out to you, whether it was, you know, they did a lot right or whether that they just positively surprised you or whether they just kind of gave you consideration that they could be a player that does a job for us going forward throughout the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, one would be Malang Sar. Uh, like I referenced that earlier. I think the fact that he, the fact that he could be a realistic backup option. And I want to emphasize backup option to the likes of Antonio Rudiger, you know, because we have depth at right center back for days. We even have guys that can slot in at the center back position, but Malang Sar provides that naturally left footed left center back backup that um, maybe I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that he'd maybe uh, get the opportunity that he did, but that, that keeps us from having to switch Trevor Chalaba to left center back and switch everybody around and wonder, should we put Reese James at right center back or move, move Aspie back to right center back or left center back. So Malang Sarp, you know, like I forgot all the statistics, but like, you know, his tackling yesterday, one tackle that kind of gave me a little cause for concern, but he's got that metal about him and he made, you know, made a couple mistakes, you know, I mean, you know, at certain at minor mistakes at certain points, but overall I thought he was very, you know, much better than I thought he'd be and was a much for, for the stage that he was on, um, you know, much bigger than when he was in Porto's B team. And the fact that he was able to step up and play the likes of Brentford, um, you know, he's with the team. We've got, you know, we've got him for at least this season, you know, in terms of, you know, he's going to be here until, at least January. And I assume at this point, the rest of the season and, you know, it's, so he would be one, another one that I can't say I'm surprised at this point, but just because I didn't see a whole lot going forward, I'm staying in defense again is Trevor Chalaba. Um, you know, other than that one, that one play toward the end of the game with, with to, that kind of link up with Tony to where, you know, you were wondering what was that going to be a penalty shout or, you know, that one little moment aside, 
you know, the fact that he had the presence of mind to be back on the goal line, which is such a basic thing, you know, that you would expect a defender to do. But a lot of times you don't see guys do that. And when he got that goal line clearance, I mean, that got, that ball was goal bound and he, you know, he kept Tony pretty quiet for most of the game. I, I saw more out of Brian and Bumo than I saw out of uh, Tony for large parts of the game. I saw, t- I remember Tony had one or two really good chances that Mendy stopped, but really the fact that we didn't hear a lot about him for the first 60, 70 minutes of the game, I give a lot of that to Trevor Chalaba and um, um, just thought that, uh, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think in the last, you know, 20, 30 minutes of the game, we saw Tony and what he can do, but I thought that Trevor overall played well. And I think he's really shown in time and again, that he has the ability to step in when needed. Um, you know, I'm not saying he's going to supplant, you know, Andreas Christensen, Tiago Silva, Antonio Rudiger, Aspi, but, you know, he's, but he's proven to be a very useful addition. And, you know, we were worried going into the season, well, where's our depth going to be outside of those guys? And he and Sar have at least given us, you know, food for thought to actually, you know, give us some options for these types of games. I'm not saying you're going to start him against City or against Liverpool, but necessarily, unless you're absolutely pressed to, but to know that you can go in there and still get a clean sheet. Cause let's remember Brentford scored three goals against Liverpool, you know, and, you know, they, you know, who, according to Paul Scholes, you know, have the, had the best center back pairing in England. Oh, and, you know, and apparently there's two guys at Manchester United that, uh, that, that conceded four against Leicester, but I digress. Um, so the fact that we've got that kind of depth in, in our, in our back line um, re- really impressed me. And, you know, honestly, especially Sar, especially really surprised me, but I was really pleased with their performances. Yeah, I think they really stuck out for me, too. And I, I would throw Ruben in, into that mix, too. I think that and, and I'm somebody who at the beginning of the season, I was like, ah, just just in this Ruben hype. The guy's in the prime of his career, never really showed much and when he did show my, a, a lot for us under uh, under Maurizio. Sorry, he had the catastrophic injury just trying to build himself back and just haven't seen much elsewhere. Definitely was somebody myself that was very skeptical of what he could offer. And I thought personally for his own career, probably best to let him permanently move elsewhere and just establish himself instead of being in this merry-go-round of uncertainty all the time. But it it does seem to like when you read Tugel's comments on Ruben Loftus-Cheek and you read some of the things that Ruben himself is saying that, it seems like there is a rapport um, between player and manager right now. Uh, I'll, I'll open this up uh, for you. Oh, what do you think about Ruben Loftus cheeks uh, chances going forward in this squad? Um, and we'll kind of leave this as kind of one of the final questions from the match review and then pivot really quickly to a preview um, for the upcoming matches. Yeah. I, I thought, I thought Loftus-Cheek started and deserved to, I mean, I was on the fringes of, of affairs before the season started. I I like how he has how he has worked his way into the lineup. Because let's face it, he got his chance against Aston Villa in the cup and he played very well. And why you could say that was Aston Villa's B team. Not everyone played as well as he did. So it doesn't just down to it being Aston Villa. You can only play you can only play against those in front of you and he did that. And he started against um, Southampton and he played very well. And I thought he played very well also against uh, against Brentford. I think the the important thing is he doesn't have every game from now on 
though if he he has deserved to start every game he has started so and he has kept proving that you know it was it was the right decision to start him so i wouldn't be surprised if tuku finds a way to keep him in the lineup going forward but even if tuku doesn't keep him in the lineup going forward i still think it's important to know that you have to step in when you need them because last season we ran into a situation where mount had to play one of the sixes and it was not it wasn't pretty because we just we simply didn't have anyone there and we didn't trust any of the other players we had midfield. I know Tukul has been skeptical about playing about playing Chaloba in midfield and that's why we got Sa because in there the fourth option and you know in a in a in an interesting turn of events Luftosik is the is the fourth midfielder now and may even be higher up the pecking door. I personally think he's he started because because Tuku was trying to rest players, but I don't have any problem with him starting when everyone is fit and ready to go because he brings something that as much better than one, if you ask me. And he, he really brings something that nobody else does. I mean, he doesn't have, I wouldn't say he's, he's this creative passer, but, and we, we probably still need someone like that in midfield. I think Kovacic is as close to a creative passer as you get for a central midfielder. But even that, I wouldn't take that point too seriously. But yes, I think he has played very well. That's all you can ask for a player. When you get a chance, you take it. Uh, Robertson got his chance to play left back for Liverpool when they started back. So it's it's important to to have players that even they don't start. It, it's not a problem. You don't have to start every game for a for a top team to be a top player. You just have to to give a good account of yourself when you do play. And Lopez-Tick has done that. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, he could be a player going forward for us. It's going to make some people very happy. Um, it's going to make me have some egg on my face with some things that I've said about Loftus-Cheek's career chances at Chelsea Football Club in 2021. But, you know, as always, I will gladly accept the me being wrong when it benefits Chelsea. That's totally fine by me. But, um, I, you know, before we before we wrap up here, you know, there has been quite a few issues that we've talked about and mentioned with this performance and just sort of ongoing things. You know, do you think that uh, coming up against Malmo midweek as well as Norwich uh, next weekend, do you think these are – do you think first, I guess, the first part of this question I'll ask everybody is briefly, do you think these are like get-right games in, in a way uh, for Chelsea? And depending upon your answer – you know, do you think that we're going to see some of the issues that we've seen in the final third uh, start to maybe alleviate or solve themselves in some ways in these next two in next two matches? Um, I'll start first with you, Pat. Um, yeah, I would definitely say that these are um, ideal matches to you know for our for our front line. Uh, I think that uh, this is definitely. A, I'm not going to say that necessarily that I believe that it's going to change around our fortunes i'll believe it. i'm going to adopt more i'll believe it when i see it mentality but uh, it's certainly an opportunity to um you know the likes of norwich who are kind of porous on defense you know the brighton game yesterday aside and um the game against malmo i mean those these are games where we should be scoring 
you know, three, three, four goals. I mean, honestly, if we're, if we're being honest with ourselves, with the quality that we have, it, you know, with the likes of Lukaku and Havertz and uh, Werner and everybody else, we, should, we really should be. And we got goals throughout our team, as we're seeing, as we see a lot of guys with one goal and, you know, uh, one leader with three goals. But um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a, an ideal opportunity to really, it's a chance to try things too, um, you know, to, to experiment. Well, I really liked what Travis said about that, that three, four, one, two. I think that's a really, really good opportunity to try guys out there centrally because like, let's take a guy like Ziesh. Ziesh to me is a guy that's at least recently has been playing better centrally. And I say that because he gets more of the ball. He was used to being in an IAC side where the ball, where everything went through him and he, and he would, and he would float. He would not just stay central. He would float. He would go and grab the ball and he could, he would go side to side and he would, and he would play that wonderful left foot that he still has. I mean, he didn't become a bad player overnight. I've, you know, I've, I've criticized him, but I'm not, I'm not, when I do, I'm not saying he's a bad player. I mean, form is temporary class is permanent. If he's, if he's mentally there, he has the ability to play phenomenal balls. I mean, he, he, he did it against Chelsea. We all saw it. And so um, I think, I think he would flourish in that type of role or like Travis said, like Mason Mount, um, because Mason Mount is a guy that works in a three, five, two, when we play him, because he has the ability to float back into the midfield and then float forward and to be part of the offensive. Is he the, is he the, the greatest offensive player that, you know, that, that we've ever seen? No, but he has the ability to do that. He has that ability to, to go between, you know, playing in that five and floating forward to a, you know, a three, four, three, a three, four, one, two type system. Um, you know, so that way the, the formation is kind of fluid throughout the game. Um, but yeah, when we have a lot of guys that could play behind that role and that could allow, you know, like Travis said, so, so eloquently about much more than I am about the ability to have options for Lukaku to play off of. And he could, he could go out in that channel because you've got another guy there in the center that could, if they chose to, you know, like, you know, pin, pin back the defense. So I'm hoping that we see some things. I'm hoping that I think Tomas Tuk was more than aware of the issues that we have, and I'm hoping we see solutions in some of these games going forward. Yeah, well said, Pat. I'll uh, transition over to you, Ola, and then we'll circle back to Travis and uh, wrap things up here. I, I think the normal game would watch us to maybe experiment. I don't experiment to find our fit of Tivoli's because we have not been good going. We haven't three goals. The next two are defenders with two goals each. That's just not good. And unfortunately, we cannot separate. Unfortunately, we can't separate the our defensive or our offensive issues from the formation. But at the same time, we can't blame it all on the formation because when we have when we deploy a team has seven offensive players and offensive players, sometimes two offensive players. That's going to be difficult to, to navigate on the pitch. But I still say the 3-1-2 formation or 3-5-2, which is, I, I suspect, what Tukul is trying to, to do without devoting someone to be an attacking midfielder outright. I, I just feel that the 3-5-2 formation with three central midfielders in certain games and doesn't work in others. In, against Southampton, we could say it worked because the pressing is Southampton's pressing is very good against Brentford. Same thing. 
against Malmo, we have to be a lot more offensive. I'm not saying we should go too far at the back. I don't think far at the back particularly, you know, solves. It maybe solves it maybe solves some issues in terms of being able to use more attacking players and, and more midfield players. But other than that, I think it's just decision making. It comes down to decision making. And it's possible that teams are finding ways to neutralize Lukaku. Because I mean, when people know you're going to try and hold up the ball, they can they can just plan for that. And he's he's strong. You can't get the ball off him, but there are still other ways to neutralize that kind of play. I think, like Patrick mentioned, I think we we need to give ZH a run out because the earlier ZH picks up from the better for the whole team, really. Our decision making is still poor. We don't have anyone with the passing range. I saw well hesitate to, to pass the ball to Lukaku when Lukaku was running into a channel and was going to be free. It's that kind of thing that irritates me. We see, we see this thing several times where the time the, the pass is played is, is, is more important than the person who is playing the pass. Because we say, okay, we need, I, I see people saying we need to buy an elite creator, as they call it, you know, these buzzwords are nice. We, we, we wanted the clinical scholars, the same thing. So I think an elite creator is what we need. I think what we need is, is good decision making in the final thought, making the pass at the right time, especially that. Because if you play a simple pass at the right time and you cut defenders of guard. It's more important than the band weaving a, a, a fair true pass, you know, through the whole pitch. So I think we get ball to the midfield quite easily, but getting the ball to the forward line is where the problem is. So I, I trust to go to recognize these problems and 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 try to solve it. I know we will solve it. We have too much talent to to be this bad offensively, though we are so that's ironic. But yeah, I, I think we would have more joy against Malmo. I think we'll have a lot more space to work with. I think the pressure on our offensive players will be a lot less, or it's more because they're expected to do well. But I think it will be a lot, a lot less. I have not watched how they are defensive organization. But they're in the Champions League, so that's not a coincidence. So we can't afford to be too optimistic about how how much space we're, we're looking to get. Yeah, I think those are all good points there, Ola. Uh, what about you, Travis? Just to wrap it up real quick here, uh, do you think we get right against Malmo and Norwich? Well, we, we should. I mean, our run of games from now until November is four home games, which is Malmo, Norwich, Southampton, and the Carabao Cup, and Burnley, and two away games, Newcastle and Malmo. Like, there, there is no reason our, we shouldn't be scoring – on average, two goals a game. There is no reason we shouldn't win all of those games. You know, I I think more than anything, we just need to establish a little bit of consistency because we do we have been changing formations back and forth quite often. We've been rotating players a lot, which is good. We need to be doing that, especially when international breaks and their divine wisdom says we're going to have three games now. Ridiculous. So, you know, we just need to, you know, figure out our issues in these games. And we absolutely can do that. We can, you know, settle on a formation, maybe just play one formation for all of these, you know, as much as possible, play just one set of players for all of these. And we'll be able to get out of this rut that we've kind of been in since 
the first international break. And, you know, before things start to turn south in the winter, as they have tended to do in recent years. So that would be my main stuff on it. I, yeah, I think that, you know, it is a, a really important part for us because we're going to have to get this right. You know, we don't want to go into the winter games as we have in a lot of previous seasons kind of in this sputtering offense, right? Because we all know how, unfortunately, that pandered out last season for us when we went through that stretch. Um, you know, so I, I think that for myself, I think we're going to get right against these next two games. I think the goals will start smashing in a bit more because I think Tomas Tuchel is going to realize that uh, the defense has been totally solved. We can put pretty much any rotational player into that back line and we still do well. Um, and I think now it's going to be a personal challenge for him to figure out how to get this firing uh, and not just firing well, but firing very quickly. Um, so I think we're going to do it. I, I, like I said, I have stuck by this team is a, I said, after the Liverpool away draw with 10 men, I said, this team will win the title. I'm going to continue to maintain that. I didn't see anything yesterday that takes away me saying we don't win the title because we were the second best team in almost every single metric you could probably pull up yesterday, especially from the offensive point of view. And we still got three points. So I think it was, it's prime Jose Mourinho stuff that would make him proud, make him happy. And yeah, I think that, you know, I still think we're on course to win this title. So uh, I think we'll get right against him and, you know, time will tell, but uh, before we wrap up here, wanted to give a big thanks to you again, Pat coming on, you know, great having you on. Uh, love, love always hearing your perspective, right? You've always got a good, you know, very good positive spin on things as well. So all of us here. Thanks again for coming on. And again, uh, anybody out there, listeners, give them a follow on Twitter. It's at PTP underscore uh, C Y or C O Y B. Come on, you blues. That's how I remember it. But um, <laughs> if uh, you know, if, uh, and you know, give him a follow, give him some of his content uh, of you, right. One of the good guys out here in the fan base. So, and also Travis, a lot. Thanks for getting up on this Sunday morning with me recording with us. Um, I know well, a lot. It's like midday for you uh, over over there. But uh, again, thanks for coming on. And uh, until next, it's four p.m. over there. It's uh, it's like eleven fifteen here. But uh, until next time, everybody, keep blue flag flying high, and hopefully we come back next weekend with two match reviews after beating up on Malmo and Norwich. Uh, I can only hope that's the, the tone. I, I want to have a different discussion than how do we get the front three going. But uh, <laughs> Thanks again, everybody, for coming on. I hope you guys enjoy it.